My name is Louisa, and I'll be doing today's second Bible reading, which comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 to 11. Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And this is what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Thank you, Louisa. Well, do keep your Bibles open to Genesis and also 1 Corinthians 6. We'll be reflecting on those two passages today. But let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we think about human sexuality and your good design, help us to see the goodness in it and to also know how we are to live when our experiences in life is different to your design. So give us clarity of mind and a conviction of heart to desire what you desire. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today we are speaking about same-sex attraction or same-sex orientation. Now, we use these terms, and these are not terms that we normally hear in the public culture, uh, where perhaps we hear the language of being gay or lesbian or homosexual. But we use this expression because it describes the experience of those who have same-sex attraction. Now, of course, this is not an easy topic to speak on, but when we do, it's not a topic we want to be simplistic about. But it is something that all of us, we need to be thoughtful, loving, respectful, and above all, we have to remember this, that none of us can stand before God with a sense of hubris, that we are better than thou. And when it comes to standing before God, there is no sense of us and them. And so even in this talk, I'll be careful not to use the language of us and them. But it is in fact all of us together, broken in some way, distorted, corrupted, affected by the fall in our thoughts, in our desires, in our nature. But it is all of us together in need of the grace, love and welcome of God. And that is what God offers us in the gospel of his son, Jesus Christ. And so if you are listening in on this, and I know that there are some even in our church family who struggle with unwanted same-sex attraction, which we need to be aware of in our church family, that this church is meant to be the safest place of all. In fact, all churches are meant to be the safest place of all so that we will be conscious, always conscious, that by what we say, how we act, what we speak of, that we don't show any prejudice, that we don't be uninformed, that we don't act unlovingly or judgmentally. And so we make the church a safe place that it should be. And we have to remember that the church is not a hotel for the healthy. It is a hospital for the sick, where all of us together we find refuge in God, a saviour in Jesus Christ, and fellowship in the people of God. Now perhaps this topic may be something that is quite foreign to some of us. It's not our experience, nor is it the experience of those we know and love. However, for some of us, this topic is very close to home. It is my son or my daughter or my brother or sister or friend. But what is helpful for all of us is to understand 
what the experience of same-sex attraction is like. And of course, everyone's experience and journey in life is very different, and so we don't want to generalize. And we certainly do not want to treat this as an abstract topic or an abstract theological discussion and forgetting that every single person is a person to know and love. And so what I have found helpful in my own ministry and even in preparation for this sermon was to have long chats with those who do have same-sex attraction. And so I had a long discussion with a Christian man who experiences same-sex attraction, that is his experience in life, but is himself working in gospel ministry. And so now I want you to just imagine what it is like to grow up with that attraction, especially if you are growing up in a conservative culture or within the church community. It's often described as growing up feeling different and closed off. And so it's like you're living in a closet. You feel different. You grow up feeling different. During your teenage years, you you develop unwanted, strong romantic emotions and physical attractions that confirm your worst fears, that you are different. And so what happens is that you close yourself off. You're wrestling with this shame internally. You fear being rejected by your family and friends and even your church. And you continue to wrestle with this internal turmoil alone throughout your adolescent years. And you find yourself falling in love with your best friend. And so years of internalized shame and repression and silence, it can't be good for anyone's mental health. And so you cry out to God for help, and yet you feel confused. And so you question, am I wrong? Am I irredeemable? Am I unworthy? Now, without saying anything about it being right or wrong, the right thing for any Christian to do is not to cast any stones, but to be like Jesus. We don't stand afar and pronounce judgment But we come close, we know, we listen, we show compassion. Now, of course, this is not to say that anything that is contrary to God's good design for human sexuality is to be condoned. Not at all. I mean, encouraging anyone to come out as proud, that is not the answer. You see, much of what is celebrated in our modern 21st century, sexual promiscuity, Diverse sexual expressions, whatever you want, do not hold back your urges. If it feels good, go for it. That is not good, nor is it right according to God. But the first thing is for us to understand the experience and the struggle it is for many. Not everyone who experiences same-sex attraction have given themselves to the homosexual lifestyle. I have had brothers break down before me with tears about such a struggle, confused about this matter, uncertain about the future. And so we have to at least, as we come and think about this topic, appreciate the type of internal struggle and even trauma that is the experience of some, and even within our church family. It is why the church is meant to be a safe place where there is love and openness 
without the fear of rejection, but also the hope of a way to live a life that will please God and honour God. A little bit like what we saw in that video. You see, the last thing we want is for anyone to grow up in the church, in a Christian family, discovering same-sex attraction and then thinking, well, this church is not for me, not at all. That is not what we want. And so in speaking about the experience of the same-sex attracted, it is so that it would move us to love. You see, stereotyping is not very helpful. When we talk about the homosexual culture, the LGBTQI plus community, the Mardi Gras parades, of course there is much that it celebrates that displeases God and we need to recognize that. But we must also remember that every individual is a person to know and to love and to reach with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because what every individual needs and longs for is acceptance and welcome and love. And that is what God offers ultimately in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so when we come to this topic and when we come to the scriptures, what does the Bible teach us? Well, what the Bible teaches us right from the very beginning is that every single human being is made in the image of God as male and female. Bodies, male bodies and female bodies to the glory of God and it is a good thing by God's design and purpose. And so in our first reading, Genesis 1, we read, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him, male and female he created them. And so what that means is that every single person, whether you're rich or poor, whether you're wise or full, whether you're young or old, whether you're heterosexual or same-sex attracted, every single person is made in the image of God and given divinely by God a dignity and an inalienable worth as God's image bearer. You see, it's a worth that cannot be earned or purchased. It is inalienable. By virtue of being a human being, you have dignity regardless of attraction. You see, the way God sees us is far more than our sexual orientation or attraction. And this is important to remember. You see, who I am before God is different to how I am. Who I am before God speaks of my identity. I'm a man or woman made in the image of God that is an essential category of my person. But how I am speaks of my experience in life. And that is where my attractions fall, whether that is same sex or opposite sex. It is how I experience life. It is the how, not the who, that, and it is not the how that defines me. It is the who that defines me. And so when God looks at us and he sees, what does he see? He sees a person, an individual, a man or woman made precious by God in his image. And that is why when we look at every single story of Jesus in the Gospels, how does Jesus treat the leper who is outcast by all society, the prostitute, the, the sinner, the, the Samaritan who, who's been with five different men? It's worth reflecting on. Every time Jesus relates to them with utmost respect and love and compassion, 
and gentleness and dignity as a fellow image bearer of God. You see, in the eyes of God, not one soul is subhuman because he made us. Now, of course, this does not mean that God condones all we think and do. God calls sin, sin. If it is contrary to his ways, his design, his purpose, but he does relate to the sinner. Jesus eats with the sinners. And so perhaps as a default, the godly attitude that we must all have is that we must love all people because all people are made in the image of God. But though we are all made in the image of God, it does not mean that we all live a life that reflects this image, nor reflects what God is like. In fact, the Bible speaks of a, a very important doctrine. It is called the doctrine of original sin because of the fall of Adam and Eve. And what that has meant is that the entire creation, everything we see, touch, feel and smell, the entire creation has been tainted, distorted, contaminated, damaged and corrupted in some way. And all of us are affected by it. And so, one, our relationship with God has been damaged because of original sin. Paul speaks of us being alienated from God. Our relationship with each other has been tainted. I mean, the battle of the sexes began there in the garden. And we see there, even just after the garden, the first son born became a murderer and killed the second son born. Our physiology, our biology is damaged. And sadly, that's why we see congenital diseases. They do happen. And even in the Gospels, the, the man born blind, the thousands and thousands of different situations that are just not meant to be. And even our thoughts, our desires, and our hearts are corrupted. This is what the reformers mean by, by what they say, the total depravity. And we see this from quite a few passages. Jeremiah 17. The heart is deceitful above all things. And so it should bring new meaning to, you know, follow your heart, but your heart is deceitful. Or Psalm 51, King David recognizes and confesses, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. And so this may be hard to hear, and I recognize that. But it does make sense of the world we see and our experiences in life. All that is wrong with this world comes back to the fall. And so for some of us, it has meant because of the fall, because of this corrupted world and our corrupted nature, not because of the sins I knowingly commit, but because of our fallen or corrupted nature that I have inherited. Again, what the reformers meant by total depravity. We have all fallen short of the glory of God in some way, and the image of God which we bear has now been somewhat marred and corrupted and distorted. And so what that has meant when it comes to our sexuality, is that for some it could be a biological marring. In rare instances, some are born with ambiguous biological sex, what we call intersex. No less made in the image of God, no less loved by God, but it is a consequence of this broken world and it will not be there in the new creation. 
For some, it could be gender dysphoria, this internal struggle with my gender, a misalignment between my biology and my psychology. And of course, what that calls for is compassion. Not easy, those who do struggle with gender dysphoria. But it is a struggle which will mean trying to align my psychology with my biology rather than the other way round. And for some, it could be a distorted attraction or desire, such as same-sex attraction. It may be involuntary, unbidden, but it is a consequence of our fallen nature where all creation is marred. But you see, even though the fall has had that effect on all humanity, we are not absolved of our responsibility. Ed Shaw, in that interview, in his book, discussing in, in one of the chapters about whether there is in fact a gay gene or not, he says this. He says, Potentially being born gay, as it is crudely put, does not necessarily make it right for me to embrace a gay identity and lifestyle. I could have been born same-sex attracted. It can feel totally instinctive to me, but I am still held responsible for acting on it. And that's the clarity we have when we come to 1 Corinthians 6, our second reading. And it is quite a confronting passage, but we cannot avoid it. You see, having an attraction is one thing. We all have all sorts of attractions to all sorts of things. And attractions are not all sexual. It could be an attraction to a personality, or an emotional attraction, or an intellectual attraction. And so someone who experiences same-sex attraction may instinctively, naturally, be inclined to someone of the same sex and how it can play itself out is with stronger friendship, deeper relationships, but it does not necessarily mean sexual. But when the attraction is sexual, when the attraction is sexual, regardless of whether it is same sex or opposite sex, and it is it's coincided with an illicit desire or lust, well, that is what 1 Corinthians 6 speaks of. And it is not to be taken lightly. And so 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greed, nor drunkards, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now in that passage, the word sexually immoral comes from the Greek word porneia. It's where we get the word pornography from. It's a catch-all term for all forms of sexual expression outside the marriage of one man and one woman. And so it's not only wrong at the point of the activity itself, it's wrong way back with the desire itself. I mean, Jesus teaches in the Sermon on the Mount, of the Sermon of the Mount, if you lust sexually after someone, it amounts to committing adultery in your heart. Or take King David, for example. 
King David, at what point did he sin? Was it just at the point when he slept with Bathsheba? Of course not. Had to be way before that. Well, when? Was it at the point when he sent his servant to bring Bathsheba over to his place? Was that the point when he was wrong? Well, no, it had to be before that because he already had intent. You see, when he was wandering on the roof and he saw, his natural attraction was to someone of the opposite sex. But he should have stopped it right there. No second look, no second thought, and fled from the roof. But he allowed himself out of his own fallen nature. Remember, Psalm 51 was written by him. He was sinful at birth. Out of his own fallen nature, he allowed himself to desire something that God forbids. It was willful. He desired to sleep with someone who was not his wife, and that began in his heart. He lusted, he was tempted, and he gave in. That was where he was wrong. Timothy Keller, he puts it this way, it's not just wrong to do it, but it is wrong to want to do it. And notice that in this list, sexual immorality is grouped with adultery and homosexuality because all sexual expressions outside the marriage of one man and one woman is illicit. It does not fit with God's good design for our sexuality. And so what that means is that homosexual desires and activity can never be condoned. It is a distortion of what God made. It is a distortion of us being made in the image of God. In fact, in the book of Romans, in chapter 1, quite strong language is used there, where it is described as abandoning natural relations for unnatural ones. And why? Well, it's because it distorts the picture of what marriage is. It distorts the picture of marriage between one man and one woman. And even that picture is a shadow of the ultimate marriage between Christ and the church. And so in a sense, what Paul goes on to imply and say and teach is that homosexuality ultimately distorts the glory of God. And so any sexual desire or activity outside of marriage is a distortion. And what it means, it is a distortion of what it means to be made in the image of God. And so this applies not just with those with same-sex attraction, but everyone. Casual sex, one-night stands, premarital sex, adultery, homosexual activity, that not only attracts God's wrath, but is itself evidence of God's wrath where God gives us over to our sinful desires. And the consequence is serious. What we see here in 1 Corinthians 6, it is to be outside the kingdom of God. And that's why we can never take sexual sins lightly. But now we must also notice in 1 Corinthians 6, these sins are grouped with a whole bunch of other sins. Being a thief, greedy, a drunkard, even a swindler, the online scammer, equally displeasing to God. And you see, it is the kingdom of God that is at stake here. 
And so why do we speak of something that is so controversial today? Because it is ultimately about the kingdom of God. Now, this may or may not come as a surprise, but what God teaches in Scripture is very different to what our culture celebrates. And it needs to be said. Same-sex marriage, though legal in our country and much of the world, is certainly not moral in the eyes of God. And what a travesty that there are churches that would come out and bless same-sex unions. But we remember, we are all made in the image of God, but we all have been marred and affected and distorted some way by the fall. And so if that is the case, what do you think is the greatest need of every single person? You see, even though we are talking about same-sex attraction, the greatest need of every single individual is the same. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have all been made in the image of God, and that image of God has been marred and distorted. But because of the gospel, we can all be transformed into the image of Christ, where we find forgiveness. And so no matter what our sins may be, However, we have fallen or broken. Sexually, it can be forgiven. And in Jesus, we can have our desires submitted to him so that they become godly desires. We come and find reconciliation with God. We get to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And we also grow in Christ-likeness. You see, everyone who comes to our church, what is the greatest need? The greatest need is what the gospel offers. And that's what Paul goes on to say in 1 Corinthians 6, the very next verse. He says, And that is what some of you were. Notice the tense there. That is what some of you were. Not what you are now, but what you were. You were sexually immoral. You were adulterous. You were homosexual. But that was what you were. And then we read, but you were washed. You were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. You see, what is it that God wants from every single individual? Well, he wants us to be saved. Your salvation and your, your godliness, being washed, sanctified and justified so that you'll be transformed into the image of Christ. And godliness does not mean a change in sexual orientation or making progress towards heterosexuality. No, not, not that we want to discount that. Of course, God is God. God can do what he wants and he can change how he likes. And some have ended up getting married and having kids. But godliness does not mean heterosexuality. Ed Shaw again, in his own struggles, he, he says, God most wants me to grow more like Jesus, not to be married to a woman. And so my failure to achieve the latter does not mean I'm making no progress on the former. In fact, I found it quite helpful reading some studies. There's a study by a lady called Lisa Diamond, an American psychologist from the University of Utah. She conducted a longitudinal study of 100 non-straight females over 10 years. And what she discovered was that sexuality was quite fluid. People do change. 
And so adolescents growing up need not think that you are fixed in your ways because of your first attraction or your first inclination. What she discovered was that what does happen is that those who call themselves lesbians can find themselves attracted to a particular man. Not that their attraction has necessarily changed, but there is an addition to their attraction to a particular person. But either way, what God wants is godliness, holiness, purity, a clear conscience, where the life and doctrine matches, to resist every sinful desire and to be transformed into the image of Christ and to have in that a new identity. In fact, that was our kids' talk, to be in Christ. You see, more than just now being made in the image of God, our identity is that we are now a child of God. We are in Christ. That is the wonderful hope that the gospel offers. And so made in the image of God, we are marred by the fall, but we are transformed into the image of Christ because of the gospel. And so the call on any who experiences same-sex attraction is really the call for all of us. Our package may look different. Our struggles don't look the same. But the call of God is not to run away from him, but to run to him and to find in him joy and strength to live the life we were made for. And so what I'm saying is that same-sex attraction or opposite-sex attraction, whatever our experience in life may be, how we are, we can still live a life to the glory of God. But a few words to encourage those of us who do experience same-sex attraction. Now, there may be the despair that marriage or sexual expression may not be a possibility. But isn't that the same as everyone else who is single? And singleness, we must remember from our singleness talk, is to be seen as a good gift from God. It's very easy to honour marriage, and we do, we must. It is a good gift from God. But we must also honour singleness. It is also a good gift from God. And if singleness is a good gift, then celibacy is a good thing. It is a good, plausible way of living life, to be celibate. I mean, just think about the life of the Apostle Paul or the life of Jesus Christ himself. You see, we cannot fall into the cultural pressures that says everyone needs to express themselves sexually. Whatever your desires are, go for it. The problem is what we see in society, a celebration of sexual diversity like it's a human right, but it is not. Remember our sex talk a few weeks back? Sex is not an appetite that needs to be filled, but it is a desire that needs to be controlled. Sex is not an individual need, it is a marital need. But even human marriages, we must remember, will one day give way to the eternal marriage of Christ and the church, which surpasses all human experiences, and no one who trusts in Jesus will miss out on that. And second, the reality is that the struggle with same-sex attraction may be lifelong. We must recognize that. 
that that may be the experience of some. But it is not a struggle that God is unaware of, just like our every other struggle. It is not as though God cannot see the pain, the difficulties, the sense of loss, but even in them, God has not stopped loving. In fact, God's grace is always sufficient and God's power is made perfect in our weaknesses. And so somehow, even in our weaknesses, God works for our good. And though God does not promise to deliver us completely from struggles, from even the sins that lurk so deep in the recesses of our hearts, God has given us the Holy Spirit to follow after Jesus, to carry our cross, to deny ourselves, until one day we won't need to. Now, Ed Shaw, his book is extremely helpful. It's worth reading. He reflects on his own struggle as a Christian man, as a minister. But he works through it with this sense of hope, looking forward. And I'll read one of the pages in his own reflection, which I found extremely encouraging. And I'll read it at length. It's a long one. It says, I'm looking forward to the joy that will be mine then, for the right and lasting satisfaction of all my desires, and for the eternal relief of a conversation with Jesus that will go something like the one King Caspian had with Aslan at the end of Lewis's The Silver Chair. Sir, said Caspian, I've always wanted to have just one glimpse of their world. Is that wrong? And so that's speaking about, in a sense, heaven. You cannot want wrong things anymore now that you have died, my son, said Aslan. Not to be able to even want to do anything wrong anymore. How beautifully enjoyable that life in God's perfect new world will be after a life of painful suffering in this God-rejecting old one. Come, Lord Jesus, come soon and make everything sad come untrue. I mean, don't you just love that? And that is the type of church we must be. A church that points everyone to that same hope. And so those of us who are parents, we may or may not even be aware that our child is struggling with this. Friends, we may be aware, we may not be aware, but we must be good friends. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we must remember that this is a church family where there is meant to be genuine fellowship, joyful friendship, where that is all nurtured. You see, what is so important in a community like ours is that we be what a family should be, genuine friends, where friends stick closer than a brother. Now, of course, there is so much more to cover just on this topic, but we do want to be a church where all can feel open to share of struggles and frailties. And so if your experience is same-sex attraction, or if it's not, but if it is, you need not feel to walk alone, but that you know we have our God as Father in heaven, our Jesus as Saviour, the Holy Spirit as Comforter, and us as brothers and sisters in Christ. You see, this is a place where we can all live our authentic Christian lives with holy sexuality, 
to the glory of Christ as a child of the King. And we do this together. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that you do give us in Scripture, in a world that is so confusing, but you do give us in Scripture the clarity of your good design. Help us to seek to honour you, and even in our struggles, for those of us who do, we pray, Lord, that your grace is always sufficient. Teach us that it is sufficient, that in our weakness your power is made perfect. But teach us to be a family that a family of God must be. And so we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.